John is my name. And Ian is my name. And how the devil are you, Ian? Uh, I'm all right. Okay. I'm okay. Yeah. Wow. Oh, it's been a rough. It's been a rough week, hasn't it, with the news? I just feel a bit despairing about everything. I mean, you say that, but now Mr. Boris Johnson, our beloved Prime Minister, has declared that we'll now have imperial measurements. They're going to be brought back. So now you can go into a pub and ask for a pint of lager. When you weigh yourself on the scales, you can find out what you weigh in stone. We've not been able to do that for 50 (laughs) years. It's so exciting, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, our European overlords are not going to stop us from getting a pint of milk. Yeah. It's, it's, It's... I mean, it does feel like a brave new world we're entering, doesn't it? It does. And in the Queen's Jubilee, it's what she would want. It is what she would want. Um, and also, I mean, Boris, obviously at the same time, he's also changed the ministerial code, which is exciting. It is. It's a better system now, you know. Because I mean, it, seems iron- yeah, it seems ironic that, you know, he's going for imperial measurements, but he's also going for an actual empire as well. You know, he's going proper <laughs> imperialist into being the new emperor. <laughs> Indeed, in the sense that, yes, I mean, I think what what the last couple of years have proved since 2019, certainly, is that maybe even since 2016, maybe before that, is that you can have too much integrity. You know, ethics can take over. It's mm. best that we get rid of that from our politics. Yeah, so it's best of none at all. Oh, much better. You know, if you commit a breach of the ministerial code, a quick apology, move on. Doesn't even have to be sincere. Just have to say those words. Just have to say the words. I mean, they do I... say sorry is the hardest word to say. It's not for Boris. Because no, you don't have to mean it. Not. You just have to say it. Yes. And he's a master of the, I'm sorry if. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry <laughs> no. that you think. <laughs> um, so I don't is... know. Having sat, having sat and watched that, you know, the Sugri day unfolding mm. on Wednesday. By the end of it, I felt that, I mean, Boris clearly thinks that he's the victim in all this. Well, yes. I mean, I mean obviously. Is. Obviously he is. He is the victim <laughs> of a, a smear campaign and, you know, the whole of the British public and media are against him. You know, yes. the newspapers especially, like the Daily Mail and the Express have been, they've been really hard on him, haven't they? Exactly. It tried to come up, I mean, trying to run the country in a responsible manner when the entire establishment you know when you're as anti-establishment as boris mm. you know when you come from such an outsider status as he does i mean what is what chance does he have no none at all none mm. at all i mean it's it's utterly utterly baffling that we're in this world what did mm. we do so wrong what did we do so wrong that we ended up here like like what steps what when did like I mean, is this payback for having an em- an empire that did kill Terrible. hundreds yeah. of thousands of people in parts of the world, you know, where we thought we were this incredible army because we had guns and they didn't? Um, like, is it is it payback for that? 
is it? I mean, I know it's a pretty rubbish payback in compared to the genocides that we did, uh, having such a rubbish prime minister. But like, wh- where did we end up? Wh- which, like, we must have taken so many wrong turns. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, obviously, it's easy to say Brexit started all this, but it didn't. I mean, this was bubbling away before Brexit. This kind of odd state of mind that we seem to find ourselves in. It did. Um, I mean, it's happened in America too. I mean, thankfully, I was going to say, thankfully, America seems to have come through the other side, but I don't think it quite has. I think it's maybe no. doing a wee U turn and going back that way again. Um, I don't know. It really does perplex me and puzzle me. You know, we've talked about it on here so many times that you think back to our childhood and even our sort of 20s and early 30s, relatively stable. Society seemed relatively stable and normal, and you could predict what was going to happen. You could predict how politicians would behave, how they would react to certain things. Now, you, I mean, you can sort of predict, but it's in a, just an awful way. You could, yeah. you could have predicted on Wednesday that after that Sue Gray report came out, that he would say he was sorry and tell us to move on. And yeah. all the Tory ministers would do the same thing. They would just say, look, we've seen the report, let's move on. And, and I did read, I can't remember where I read it now, but it actually kind of hit home really quite... It really did sort of hit me. I don't know if it was today's Guardian or yesterday's, and that there was this article, and it was kind of saying that we were in this odd paradoxical world whereby, for five months, we've been told, "Wait for Sue Gray's report. You can't mm. make any judgments. Wait for yeah. Sue Gray's report. Wait for Sue Gray's report." Then we get Sue Gray's report, and we're immediately told to move on. Yeah. Like I mean, when Sue do Gray's we... report? Yeah, Sue Gray's report has obviously been slightly watered down. I mean, there's a lot of stories today mm. in the Times and the Mirror describing... Uh, I, mean, I mean, I read it. As soon as it went online on Wednesday morning, I read it. And I immediately, as, as someone who's an English teacher, you read, you know, you, you read a lot and you're used to kind of like interpreting things and reading between the lines. But I got to the paragraph where it described the ABBA party on November the 13th. Mm. And it just, that paragraph where she said, I was looking into it, then I decided the police could do it. And then I thought it was a waste of time investigating it further i read that paragraph and thought that's not right that's been added in that doesn't feel in tone or in message with the rest of the report and then we find out today they're certainly reporting in the times sort of junior civil servants are saying that yeah that that has been changed that is not what she wrote that she actually described the you know the times of the party the, the abba songs blaring out the window who was there all of that's been taken out of the report so even with it watered down it's still pretty damning you know they're talking about vomiting wine on the walls, staff being rude to the cleaners and the security staff. And even with all that, within two minutes, we were told, right, move on now. Don't even move read on. it. Move on. Move on. Nothing to see here. Move on. Yeah. And we've had five months of being told that we need to wait for the Sue Gray report to come back before we do anything. We can't really make any judgment. Okay, we know some of the facts now. Now move on. Exactly. They, they, and... they might as well just have said, look, we're going to wait for this. What you need to do now, journalists, is wait for the Sue Gray report and then move on. Let's not even, we'll just, we'll just tell you right now, when it comes out, you need to move on. And you might as well just have said that, because that's exactly yeah. what's happened this week. I know, and it's a strange, like, I've, I've, I've had to actually stop listening to, like, the radio. I, you know, I've, as, as I've said on the pod before, is that I often, if I can't sleep either at night or in the mornings, I would listen to, to talk radio, because it, it used to be able to help me, lull me to sleep. And... Um, I can't do it now because of the way everything is framed. And it's not even, it's, it's the editorializing that the presenters do, I think. And, and for example, I was listening to Times Radio 
earlier on this week. And bear in mind, as the Times is reporting, not the editorial part of it, but the actual reporting, they have actually been quite mm-hmm. um, thorough in finding out a lot of this stuff, to be fair to them. A lot of that information you, you've kind of said about the, yeah, you know, yeah. the more details come from the Times, uh, or the Sunday Times at least. Uh, but one of the things is, you know, they were reading out text messages from from audience members, obviously. And they were saying, you know, some, certain certain audience members are saying they want to move on. Uh, and the thing is, I want to move on. You want to move on in terms of what we desire. We want to move on. Just like, you know, when, when you have, uh, you know, if something bad happens in your own life, you want to move on from it. And not have to be feeling the sense of anger and frustration and, and in some senses pain of what you've been going through. But just because you want to move on doesn't mean you can because you need closure. You need to feel that something has happened that allows you to move on. And reading a report which essentially documents all of the things that you kind of knew were happening sometimes worse than you thought the vomiting the being awful to the staff um and then no responsibility is taken and i hate this phrase of i take full responsibility for that yeah well what does that mean that means that like when you take full responsibility in my job for example if you take full responsibility that means you go in front of your boss and your potentially your boss's boss and you kind of go right don't blame him blame me whatever punishment is coming the punishment needs to go to me. If that means I go down a grade, if that means I get fired, whatever that means is I am taking the responsibility for it. Responsibility does not mean, like imagine, it's, it's the same, we kind of talked about it this week actually, uh, sorry, last week in the pod, is about when we think about Forrest Johnson's personal life, is you kind of think he, he probably has gone to his ex-wives, maybe even this one so far, we don't know yet, but ex-wives have kind of gone, yeah, I did have an affair and I got another woman pregnant. I take full responsibility for that. And then when his wife gets mad about it, he's like, what? I said I take full responsibility. Why are you getting mad at me? Why are we still talking about it? Move on. I've taken responsibility. Responsibility means paying a price for something. If you take responsibility for paying for dinner, you have to pay for dinner. You don't then just hand it to the person off the bill to the person opposite you and say, I'm taking full responsibility for that. But if you know, if you could put your hand in your pocket, that'd be great. Thanks. Like he's, He's not like neither him nor the head of the civil service have taken responsibility for anything because neither of them are suffering any consequences for it. All he suffered on Wednesday was having to listen to difficult questions. And that's what and, he didn't like. You yeah, know, and, and not answering them. <laughs> no, hopefully the journalists will take him to task for that because when he did his press conference at five o'clock, he was horrible to the journalists. Yeah. He yeah. was really rude to Beth Rigby from Sky. He hates her. He really doesn't like Beth Rigby. I mean, the Tories don't like Sky News now. They now say that Sky News is a Tory news, is a sorry, a left-wing news site, which is hilarious given they're owned by Rupert Murdoch. But <laughs> because Sam Coates and Beth Rigby actually, I mean, they don't give him a hard time. They just actually ask him fair questions and yeah. they don't let him wriggle off not answering them. I mean, all Beth Rigby did was ask a question that, as ever, he didn't answer. And then she, she tried to ask him a, another version of the same question. And he pointed at her and went, why do you get another go at me? You know, and it was just like this facade just suddenly dropped. You know, that you saw the real Boris there, but he looked really unplayed. And then he turned back to being Mr. You know, Evuncular, mm. Mr. Charming, because he'd obviously realised he had, you know, the mask had slipped ever so slightly. Yeah. But he didn't, and, and in Parliament it was the same. He didn't like being asked questions. You could tell he was like, why should I have to? I haven't done, look, I've said I'm sorry. 
need to move on now. Come on, I've said sorry. What else do you want from me? Yeah, I've said those words. That's, that's said, all that matters. I am contrite. I am sorry. I am humbled by this experience. And what do you have to say for this, Mr. Beer Corma? I mean, he said that within about five I minutes. Saying he was humbled and um, very moved by the whole situation. And he was angry about what had happened. He was deeply sorry. And then he called Keir Starmer Sir Beer Corma. I know. And it was also depressingly expected, I guess, in that sense. Is that's, I remember thinking, as, as I was at work, and it was Wednesday, wasn't it? When I saw, Yeah, it mm-hmm. was Wednesday. And I was at work, and so it was just kind of checking Twitter every sort of now and again. And um, I got the sort of notification that the report had been published, and Boris was going to do a stand-up in front of the House of Commons. And my, my first thought, genuinely my first thought was, what mud is he going to throw at Starmer? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it was Jimmy Savile last time. The last time yeah. he went through this, it was Jimmy Savile. So I was like, what's well, last, he going to throw got, at him? When we got the kind of the summary of the report, that was the Jimmy Savile day. Yeah. I said to my wife, what's he going to call Keir Starmer? Mm. What accusations are he going to make this time? Is he going to bring back Jimmy Savile or is he going to get something else? And it was Sabir Korma. That was his big takeaway. I know. And it's Sorry and that te- that tells <laughs> and that tells you that he's not contrite. Like, I don't know how, I mean, I know we're sort of saying the obvious thing and everyone who's listening to this would, would kind of go, yeah, obviously. But it shows that he's not contrite. And, and, the, and the disappointing thing is that not just the the other MPs, the Tory MPs that are still his cheerleaders, but people in the press who kind of parrot that line. Oh, well, he says he's contrite. But it doesn't no, mean BBC, anything. The opening of the BBC News is Boris Johnson offers a contrite, heartfelt apology. no. Those were his words. He didn't actually. Yeah. Like, you, you don't. Yeah. If he says, "I offer a contrite, heartfelt," I mean, if you say that to someone, it's not for you to say that you're giving a heartfelt apology. It's for the people you're apologising to to decide if it's heartfelt. Exactly. You can't you just know. say, "Listen, this apology is heartfelt," so you have to take it on board, even if you don't sound heartfelt. I'm telling exactly. you, this is heartfelt. I know, and you know, one of the one of the most frustrating things was, uh, I got an email about. So the report came out about 11 o'clock or something, didn't it? It was yeah, yeah. it was early morning. At about 2 o'clock, I got an email. Not just me personally. Everyone got an email um, from um, the the head of... The, everyone in the public sector got an email from the, the head of the civil service, um, that Simon Case guy, telling, yeah. us, telling us that we, we had to learn the lessons of the Sue Gray report. We all have to go away and we have to reflect and we have they to learn the lessons I, I of the Sue Gray really report. I found that really hard, knowing, I know you obviously work as part of the civil service, and the way they just said, look, the civil service has to do better. Like, we have to learn from this. And you think, no, no, the people that work on Downing Street need to learn. The people in charge yeah. at Downing Street and the culture in Downing Street needs to change. But just normal civil servants who did their jobs throughout the pandemic, who still do their jobs, they don't need to learn anything. They're, they're no. fine. So don't no. be doing that. That's And that can't be very... I mean, that's surely quite demoralising for staff to get that. Because you're suddenly exactly. thinking, so we've been lumped in with them. People I know. people who... You who work nowhere near London are now being tarnished with the same brush as the exactly. people who work Boris. I, I remember... I mean, I'm Andy Iannucci put an interesting thing on Twitter this morning. I think it was this morning. It might have been yesterday. Asking... What do we know what the COVID absence rate was in number 10 Downing Street and how many people were infected and what was the, you know, what after these parties, Mm. how soon were, you know, how many people were self isolating after these parties, how many days lost 
to work where these parties like that 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 hasn't been discussed yet about what that absolutely maybe it wasn't that much but the point about it was is i remember january 2021 i might have talked about this at the time on the pod but in january 2021 one of my colleagues tested positive for covid she was asymptomatic but she was part of one of those trials that were getting regular testing um and um so she she tested positive in, in january 2021 part of lo- you know the the third lockdown or whatever it was called um and i remember that there was a bit of i wouldn't quite, quite go as far as nerve uh, hysteria but there was a fair bit of nervousness in the office because um people were like oh well she was in yesterday and um and I remember, and we're like, what do we do? Do we all have to go and get tested? Um, do we all have to, like, what, what do we do now? And, um, and our manager came out and was like, have any of you been within two meters of her? And we're all like, well, no. No, we haven't. I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I did speak to her yesterday and we didn't measure the distance. But, like, she was, and I kind of, I remember pointing. And I was like, well, she was over there. And pointing to where she was when 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 I was talking to her. And our, our manager was like, well, you know, it, our, the only reason you need to go and get tested is, is if she was less than two meters away, which are you saying she was breaking the rules? And we were like, no, 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 we're definitely not saying that. Like she was probably two meters away. We just didn't measure it. But the very fact that in my workplace in January 2021, that's the level that we had to be at. We weren't staying behind for drinks after, you know, despite the fact that we were one on one seeing some of the well, let's just say not necessarily the most hygienic of our, mm-hmm. uh, of our society. Uh, and we were having to see them on a daily basis. Um, we weren't staying behind for drinks. Our, I mean, only PPE, our only PPE was a plastic screen th- that mm-hmm. was set, uh, let's see, that was across from us. Now, the plastic screen, I should say, Ian, was um, if you're sat at a table... The plastic screen was like the height of, of uh, what? Uh, just above my head. Basically, the plastic screen goes just above my head. Then you've got all the air mm-hmm. that goes all the way above the plastic screen, all the way to the ceiling and across, all the way around the plastic screen because it was only about uh, maybe a meter across. So all the air in the rest of the room freely flowing around if there were germs going on there. Uh, that was no PPE. You know, that was the thing I found really galling on Wednesday. As part of his apology was he talked about the successes of, like, you know, we need to remember the successes that we had working like this, you know. You know, yeah. you think about the, the calls we made on PPE, and you think, sorry, am I forget? am I imagining that moment where the NHS didn't have PPE and people were wearing bin bags into care homes? Or did that, did that not happen? It's the same way that Matt Hancock came out and said they put a protective ring around yes. the care sector, but they didn't. They didn't. Um, but he's just reframed. I mean, that was, he kept saying... You know, if it was if if it wasn't down to us, you wouldn't have had the PP, you wouldn't have had the vaccine rollout, and you wouldn't have had Ukraine. Ukraine wouldn't have got as much money, basically, without being charged. That's kind of what he said. That was his, that was part of his apology. But the thing that I found difficult was, I mean, he started his apology with, "I would just like to first of all say that Downing Street is a is an area of," and he started talking about the dimensions of Downing Street and the number of people that work there. And straight away, you're like, because he said, "I'm not I'm not making excuses. I just want to make what happened." <laughs> Actually, what you're, I mean, to mitigate is to make an excuse. It's just a nicer word. Mitigation is basically an excuse 
it's a fancier word for it. Yeah. He yeah. said, I'm not making excuses. I just want to mitigate what we did. And it's like, right. So you are, you're just using the word mitigate. So folk think that doesn't mean making an excuse. But he kept talking about, you know, the pressures that were under and how he just thought he was, it was the, it was the right thing for him to do to say, I mean, this is the moment I thought he's going to lose a lot of people here because he said, I, I, I thought it was the decent thing for me to, to go along and to have a drink and say goodbye to my colleagues that I'd known for seven years. And you think there are people who, couldn't say goodbye to their loved ones, you know, like mm. parents, grandparents, daughters, sons, people who know their whole lives, and they weren't allowed to say goodbye to them. But he was somehow okay saying goodbye to somebody he'd worked with for seven years in yeah. person. In I mean, person, again, I've seen with multiple drinks. examples of people now saying we had it over. People were doing everything. Um, <laughs> People were socialising over Zoom. They weren't doing these things. And they were also, there was a kind of, the other thing was, it's the idea that, like, we needed to drink because it was a really hard, stressful time. Now, what do you think the newspaper slant would have been if they'd shown pictures of doctors and nurses having a drink at their work? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you and I used to work in a school together. Never mind pandemic. Could you imagine sitting at school at any time on a Friday afternoon? Yeah. No, I've worked yeah. in offices. I've worked in school. I've worked in, I've worked in shops. Everywhere I've worked, it's. I mean, at the last place I worked before I went self-employed, if somebody gave you a bottle of something for your birthday, they used to put it in the safe because you weren't allowed to have drink on the premises. Yeah. So, the idea that you need to drink at work. I mean, apparently this is. They were talking about the Boris's speech to the nineteen twenty-two committee on Wednesday night, and seemingly a female MP had said, "Why don't we just ban alcohol?" during working time and Boris's response to that was well we wouldn't have won the second world war if we'd banned alcohol in this building <laughs> oh. and that's the thing that depresses me because I've worked I mean you and I don't really drink but it's the idea that in a workplace and this mm. is the thing you think of the important decisions they were making the rules they were yes. basically enforcing and telling us to be and yet at the same time we found out they were having like like wine days every single Friday at four o'clock on a Friday afternoon. I mean, most people are still working at four o'clock yeah. on a Friday afternoon. They're not already having wine hour at four o'clock. Did you watch Laura Kuntzberg's coruscating documentary that she did for Panorama? I, I watched, yeah, I watched a fair amount of it. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I did watch. I mean, I found, I mean, again, you talk about editorializing and taking a, a sort of view. Yes, she spoke to a number of civil servants where we found out you know, the fact that people were sitting in each other's laps mm. and it was wall-to-wall. -wall. But she still found room during that to do a long piece about Boris being a kind of, you know, a genius and uh, there's no one like him in politics and he is a heroic figure, but flawed. Yeah. And you're That's like, sorry. <laughs> and, then, and then we got a sort of 15-minute bit about Keir Starmer where they had Wes Streeting on and she was properly, like, grilling him about what he was saying about Keir Starmer. And then it ended with Ian Duncan Smith basically eulogising about Boris without any questioning from Laura Kuntzberg. And that's how it ended. It just ended with Ian Duncan Smith saying, you know, she said, do you think Boris will still be leader? And he said, well, he should be. And then <laughs> he said, because he's a unique man, he's a great leader, and given the difficult times we face ahead of us, we need him now more than ever. And then it ended with this moving music. And you're like, this wasn't really the kind of, because it sounded from the sound bites we'd got earlier in the yeah. day. Like, oh Laura Kuntzberg's properly going for the Tories. But then when you actually watched the whole hour, it was 
quite soft. And a lot of it was basically just Boris is a sort of flawed genius. That's when I turned it off, actually. It was funny. Is I was trying to remember then, why did I turn it off? Because it was quite mm-hmm. an interesting. And then I was like, oh, yeah, she started going on about how he was a flawed genius. Yeah. And I'm like, where's the genius? Like, I mean, to, to rewind a bit is he got elected as prime minister from the Tory MPs because he said he would. He had just that simple phrase, I'll get Brexit done. I'll get Brexit I'm done. I'll get Brexit done. I've been ready deal. I've been ready deal. And then we've discovered that the oven ready deal is awful. I mean, it's taking a long time for yeah. us to fully find the ramifications. You know, that the thing but, is, they're still saying the Tory MPs are still saying he got Brexit done. Yeah, because, like, but he hasn't. Still haven't got it done. Because because I mean, and this is where the great um, I don't know. This is where the Labour Party. I mean, you know, I, I do think they've got a tough tough beat. The Labour Party. You always have a tough beat if you're in opposition. I think it's just when the Tories are in opposition, we kind of snigger at all of their failings because we want them to do badly. I think if you're in opposition, it is a tough beat. But the the unwillingness to really engage fully with the ramifications of Brexit mean that Tory MPs can say that mm-hmm. because there is no pushback from the Labour Party. Like, I know we should be expecting our journalists to hold them to higher account, but they don't. E- they can't even get a Labour Party person on to offer the rebuttal to that, really. The actual properly coruscating, well, Brexit is doing this, this, and this, and this, because they won't do it. They'll just kind of say, well, you know, if we were in power, we would try and, you know, we would iron out the difficulties much more easily by negotiating properly and not giving ultimatums. But that's not the same thing as really explaining to the public where Brexit has gone, you know, well, gone horribly the, wrong. But I think that the Labour Party probably realised there's no point. There is no point. No, you're right. There, there is because no point. Because there are right. huge swathes of the, certainly the English public, who think Brexit was a great idea and still believe that it's a great idea. Yeah. And it, they do. for them to come out now and say, look, Brexit's a terrible idea. It's, it's disastrous. It's been economically awful. It hasn't solved your immigration problem that you thought you were yeah. facing. Um, and you were all hoodwinked. I mean, you basically all, you know, a lot of it was predicated on a lie written on the side of a bus, which wasn't true. Or it was carefully worded, not yes. to be a complete lie. But, um... but, but, but I think one of the things is, and this is where I have to hold my hands up, and I, you know, because I was... You know, I'm obviously only the tiniest of tiny cogs in any machine. But um, I was wrong in thinking that we shouldn't have just accepted the defeat when it happened. Like all the second referendum stuff, all the trying to... Jeremy Corbyn, this is about to be the one thing where Jeremy Corbyn was right. Jeremy Corbyn on the day after Brexit, he didn't do many things right as leader of the Labour Party. But what he probably did get right was he said we should... Um, trigger Article 15 now. Remember he said mm-hmm. that on the, mm-hmm. three days later. And I was as much as anyone else going, no, you can't do that because, you know, if we do this and if we do that and if we this and if we just explain to people a bit more and when they know the truth, maybe people will change their minds and you, we, we didn't really get that there was a there was a referendum and we were never going to win the argument about running it again or proving that the Russians influenced it. And in actual fact, maybe we should have triggered Article 50 and then there might have been a way to get a better deal. Mm-hmm. You know, there was. There were many ways to get a better deal. A customs union deal or staying in the single market deal, all that kind of stuff. Is Maybe that was one, once upon a time possible, but by people, Remainers, of which I am very much one, uh, by trying us trying to dig in our heels, 
and saying, no, 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 we, 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 want, a, we want a do-over. It meant that the Brexiters could dig their heels in. Yeah. And that's why we've ended up with this hard Brexit. And that's why they get a Brexit done thing. Uh, also, could, yeah. yeah, but we also went to Boris in charge. And we also wouldn't have had Boris in charge. Exactly. You know, I mean, saying, I mean, Theresa May was an awful prime minister, but if you, in, in many, many ways, and she wasn't, she would have been suited, as I've said before, to the COVID mm-hmm. emergency. She wasn't suited to Brexit, but she might have been more suited to Brexit if we'd all, as a country, just accepted the result. Like, I was one of those ones, you know, where I was like, well, you don't accept a general election defeat. You still keep campaigning against it. Of mm. course you do. You still keep, you know, the Labour Party don't just give up because they lose an election. But but then I, I'm really conflicted with that because obviously with the Scottish referendum result, I'm like, no, no, keep looking for another one. <laughs> keep yeah. looking for another one. But I, I do just think that we, we missed the English mood. And obviously me and you certainly did for the longest time because we were, well, I was in. I was abroad for the first year after the Brexit vote, and then I was in Scotland for the second year after the Brexit vote. But coming down here, it's a different country. I mean, it's obviously a different country than Scotland, but it's a different mood entirely. Like, all the way around this northern town that I live in, which is fully Labour, by the way, as well, this northern town that I live in, which is very multicultural, you know, I think it's a 30 or 40% ethnic um ethnic minorities so they're only just minorities in the town that i live in um but the number of or the amount of bunting the amount of union jacks the the way that the jubilee is going to be celebrated here like that sense of britishness that sense that that almost that i don't know if superiority is the right word that sense that being british means something did it make you some... I remember my aunt once saying that she was so proud to be British. And I remember having the British passport and stuff. And I was like, really? Because I'm probably the least patriotic person in the world. Because mm. I don't even have that sort of default Scottishness either. Like, mm. I'm not passionate about being Scottish by any means. But, 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 but coming back to the Brexit thing is, I, I don't think you can untie the Jubilee aspect. That sense of loving the, the, the nation and the symbols of nation from the Brexit argument. And I think we misread that entirely. You know, the remain peace part of the, part of the equation, which has helped us land us here. But yes, that was going to bring us up before we go on to the joy. Well, maybe this is the joyous thing for you, and I'm not sure, is that the idea that uh, we have the Jubilee coming up. Are you having a street party Friday, Thursday? Basically, no. No, no, no maybe the just the... annoyed me. What annoyed me last night was on the... I was on Facebook last night, and the North Ayrshire, where I live, the North Ayrshire Food Bank put a thing up saying they were closing Thursday, Friday for the Jubilee celebration. Um, and I just thought, that's a really odd message to put out there. Yeah, just say it's bank holiday. <laughs> well, because underneath it, the staff were saying, look, it's a public holiday, we need to take time off. I was like, put that in your original post. Because they, they yeah. put a picture of the Queen's crown and said, we're taking two days off to celebrate the Queen's Jubilee. And then underneath um... it, someone said, oh no, it's a public holiday. The staff are entitled to it. I was like, well, write that. Yeah. Bank. I mean, we shouldn't need food banks, but we do. And we're celebrating one of the richest people in the world. <laughs> and a food bank's closing for two days while we do so. It yeah. Just, it just, it doesn't, it's not good optics. 
is what it's I'm saying. It's not, because it's perfectly, like, absolutely, those food banks, you know, they, the staff need to time off, and of course, of course they do. Close for bank they holidays. would get a bank holiday in May, that's absolutely Exactly. Fine. Just don't... actually market it as we're taking the time yeah. to celebrate the Queen's Jubilee. I just thought, that's really badly wanted. Oh, Somebody no. should be changing that to public holiday. Exactly. I mean, don't get me wrong. mentioning the Queen. No, don't mention the Queen. I mean, I'm glad I'm getting an extra day off. Don't get me oh, wrong. Me too. I'm glad. I'm glad but... I mean, I'm. Uh, it's two days that the kids don't have to go up for school. So I'm glad yeah. Two slightly longer lives. And, and as no. yeah, but I mean, the idea of a uh, the jubilee is something to celebrate. I, I just don't get these elements of Britishness. I remember, you know, th- like when it's VE Celebration Day, and I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, celebrate those men that fought mm. in the war and the you know and all the people that worked in the factories, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but you know, let's not say, suggest that we're somehow, a, you know, it's that sense that we're better than anyone else, especially because we've got an elect, uh, sorry, a, a monarchy. <laughs> an elected monarchy. <laughs> an elected monarchy, should I say. Jeez uh, I mean, Louise, it just beggars belief. So but no, any... I will not be, celib- I will not no. be celebrating it. No, neither will I. Neither will I. But do you have anything fun in the world, Ian? Is there anything good in the world? That we can oh, celebrate it's been very, before it's been we leave. Very quiet on streaming recently, hasn't it? It's not really been much on <laughs> Disney Plus or Netflix this last no. week. No, actually, saying that, that I saw a trailer on iPlayer yesterday for series two of Outlaws already, which is very exciting. That is very exciting. That's something to get our, you know, because our... that feels like that was only on about three weeks ago. It does, but actually, it was last October, so yeah, know, it makes it was, sense. I was but... It's a bit seven or eight months ago now. <laughs> uh, but um, yes, I mean, obviously the. Well, what he has literally said out loud is that the wonderful Stranger Things and the absolutely fantastic Obi-Wan Kenobi have um, been released on streaming platforms this weekend, mm. yeah. uh, which is wonderful. Uh, both still, well, um, Stranger Things is maintaining its high quality, the much I've seen so far. And Obi-Wan is, I would suggest, the best Star Wars thing since Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of very superlative comments about it, and people are saying it's Ewan McGregor's best active performance in anything. Yeah, which could be yeah. true. I mean, you, I mean, you and I are big fans of Ewan McGregor, but he's not—he's not the best actor, you know. I, well, yeah, I mean, I've seen him in, in the Impossible. He was phenomenal. Oh, he actually made me cry in the Impossible. Yes, I mean that's. Um, I mean, I don't think I—I've rarely had as much joy in the cinema. In fact. Well, Moulin Rouge is one of my very, very favourite films. I know you're not a big fan of that one, but I, I I don't really think many films have given me as much joy down the years as A Life Less Ordinary has. Yeah. And it's huge amount is to do with Ewan McGregor's performance. Uh, so he's annoyingly, a great... Annoyingly, well, that's still a film you can't get on, TV, <laughs> or on what, iTunes. What's it's going like, on with that? You can't get it on Netflix or Amazon Prime. You can't buy it off of Apple. You can't buy it on... It's not even a Blu-ray. It's, like, it's nowhere to be got. Do you, do you know what the thing is? And, and it's the same with a, a couple of other things. There must be something about the soundtrack. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it is Round Our Way by Oasis, but there's something about the soundtrack that there's clearly funny because, yeah, they're because not the allowed train, to use it. The train spotting soundtrack is not on Spotify mm. or on Apple Music. No, it must be some film for... Because mm. th- I'm sure Lifeless Ordinary was still filmed for. It was still filmed for at that point, yeah. I, and so I don't know if the, the transition to streaming with those films and the soundtracks is, is, is an issue. Obviously, Trainspot is too big a film not to be on streaming services. But mm. I, it can only be that because I know it wasn't the huge splash that everyone kind of hoped it would be at the box office. But, I mean, it's Stanley Tucci, Cameron Diaz, 
and Ewan McGregor. It's not like and and all the other ones that I've forgotten, Holly Hunter and Holly Hunter, you know, yeah. you know, and uh, Delroy Lindo. You know, it's 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 a good cast. But anyway, Ian Holmes. Yeah, we can't, I, do you know what I was about to say? I was like, yeah, forget all the rest of it, listener. Go and watch uh, Life Life Order. Yeah, go watch Life Life Order if you can. But we've just discussed it that you we can. can't. Yeah. <laughs> Which causes a problem. But uh, So there's lots of reasons to be cheerful. The fact that Ewan McGregor is still acting is reasonable yeah. cheerful. Also, coincidentally, is I am not a fan of this band in any way, shape, or form. Um, I find them rather rubbish, to be honest. But Danny Boyle's um, Sex Pistols oh, yeah. drama is out on next week on Disney Plus as well. And it's just because, I mean, it's Danny Boyle. There'll be something good about it. Even if it's not the best thing in the world, there'll be something really, really clever See, about it. I don't want to watch it because I hate the Sex Pistols. I hate, I don't hate, hate's too strong a word. I don't like the Sex Pistols. I don't like John Lydon. I don't like his politics. I don't like anything well, about him. And I know he's, dis, he's disassociated yeah. himself from it. He won't get any money from it, but I still... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's got a decent cast. I do trust Danny Boyle. I just don't think I'm interested. Oh, no, wait, I... you, if you say it's good, I'll maybe watch it. Yeah, and that's the thing is, I mean, I think certainly I probably won't be watching it on day of release because I'll still be catching up with Stranger Things probably by then. But um, um, we've also there's... got oh, we've also got only models in this building coming back in a month's time. Only a month. I know. I know. Yeah. It's. I do feel that 2022 has been a very poor year for television until this moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's like on Friday it's suddenly got good it has yeah because we'll have Only Murders in the Building and the second Stranger Things pretty much That's at the right, same yeah. time um, and then and Outlaws won't be long and, and there's lots yeah. of things so yeah keep keep going listener and let if for no other reason the telly's alright yeah. <laughs> you know um, but I, I mean I, is it oh it's next Sunday isn't it you've got a big football match is it next Sunday or is it Wednesday when have you got your big football match? Scotland's got its big match against Ukraine on Wednesday. I knew there was a reason why Wednesday I wouldn't be watching the Danny Boyle thing. There was something yeah. happening on Wednesday. It's that. There's the Scotland game. So good luck to Scotland. Uh, you're the only person that's not Scottish. Well, you are sort of Scottish, but I am sort of Scottish. But also, I just I just want Scotland at the World Cup. I just think it would be a it would just yes. be a, a. I mean, I know Ukraine, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but you've well, got to take got that out of it. It's about song contest two weeks ago. Exactly. So um, get through. Come on. Exactly. And then beat Wales and then that'll be great. Yeah. But um but anyway, listener, we should let you go. You've got lives as well. Um uh, take care of yourselves and uh, be good and we'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.